0: Alhamdulillahi wahdahu was wassalamu ala man la nabi ba'dahu Nabi yuna muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa anna ma'ahum ila yawmiddin Ashadu an la ilaha illa allahu wahdahu la sharika lah Wa ashadu anna muhammadan abduhum wa rasuluh wa ba'd We start in the name of Allah We praise him We glorify him. We seek his help in all our affairs. We ask Allah to guide us and to make us firm on the path of Muhammad. Welcome to the 11th convention of uh, Jima's, Dawah Convention. Uh, We have a slightly different arrangement of program this year. And unlike last year, we have to start with a short but important presentation by Lord Nazir Ahmed from the House of Lords. And that's because he has to leave almost immediately, and in fact he's late for another appointment elsewhere. After he leaves, I will be doing my customary introductory talk, and then a short break, and instead of another lecture, what we will have is a series of presentations by various personalities representing certain organizations in this country. So, without further ado, I'd like to welcome you all to this conference educating the family, building the foundation of a successful society, and ask Lord Nazir to say a few words of support.
1: Bismillah <laughs> rahmanir My brothers and sisters, Assalamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh. Let me first of all begin by um, thanking Jamas and all the brothers and sisters who have been involved with organising this 11th convention. I want to say um, prayers for. All those people who have been working very hard um, over the last weeks and months to get two and a half thousand, three thousand British Muslims to come to a, a weekend, to a convention like this. It must take huge amount of time and resources. So may Allah be pleased with them and may Allah reward them for the hard work that they have done. Normally... When I start my speech, um, some of you, if you've heard me, you will have heard my recent uh, two jokes that uh, I've been starting my speeches with, and I, if you've heard it before, please um, laugh with the others who have not heard it. Um, basically, uh, President Bush was uh, visiting a school uh, last week. I said that every week, but it was last week. And he talked about the war on Iraq. And after his speech, he said to the children, he said, do you have any questions? And a young boy, Billy, puts his hand up and he says, sir, Mr. President, I have three questions. So he said, what are these questions? And his first question is, where are weapons of mass destruction? How did you become president when Al Gore had more votes than you did? And where is Osama bin Laden? And then the school bell rings and half an hour later children come back to the class and he sits in front of, or stands in front of them and says um, write any more questions and a young girl puts her hand up and says, sir Mr. President I have five questions so he she says what are those questions and she says where are weapons of mass destruction how did you become president when Al Gore had more votes than you did and where is Osama bin Laden? How? Why did our school bell ring half an hour early today? <laughs> and where is Billy? <laughs> um, and they say, Mr. Romsfeld, in his dream he uh, he in his dream he died, and he was visiting up there uh, and he went up to the uh, pearly gates and there was St. Peter sitting at the uh, check-in desk. And behind St. Peter there was huge big wall with lots of clocks. And he saw these clocks and he said, Hey St. Peter, what are these clocks? And St. Peter said, these are lie detectors. So when you tell lies on earth, these clocks move and we know that you are lying. So he says, hey, whose is this clock? Because this has never moved. He says, aye, this is Mother Teresa's. She never told any lies. So it's never moved. Or so he says, whose is this next one? Because that's been moving. Or he says, this is Abraham Lincoln's. He told a few lies. So it's moved. So Rumsfeld then says, hey, St. Peter, where is my friend George W.'s clock? St. Peter says, It's next door. Jesus is using it for his ceiling fan. (laughs) Your wake up, wake up. (laughs) This conference is very important. I think that the theme that you have selected this year is also, it's not only a timely theme, but a very important one. Educating the family, building the foundation of a a successful society. Yesterday, if some of you saw the Channel 4 documentary about Asians, or you could even say Muslims, in Keighley, in Bradford, we know the problems that exist within the British Muslims today. For too long, we've not dealt with it. And I think that as Muslim leaders and community leaders, parents, we've actually failed young people today. We've actually failed our families because we've not been able to give them the direction. We've not been able to give them the advice and the support that young people needed. Of course, I don't have to tell you the Islamic values and the importance of family and how the Prophet ﷺ brought up his family and the Sahaba brought up their families and the importance that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us that we must put in to our families and the way we must educate our, our young people. And in British society, when there are all those facilities, free education, Of course, all the relevant support that we get, unfortunately, we've not been able to support our young people. Take our families right from the school, where in the state-run schools, our children need support, not only in the classroom, but also in governing bodies, parents' associations, in the parents' evenings, and we Muslims have not been supporting our children, generally speaking. In fact, I remember I was a counselor in Rotherham for 10 years. And I tried to encourage our people to join school governing bodies. I tried to encourage parents to go to school parents' evenings and join parents' associations. But our people always said, what is it there, there for me, personally? And when you say, well, this is for our... Future, our future generations, these children, whether they are white, black, whether they are Asian, whether they are Muslim, non-Muslim, if you can make a contribution and make sure that their education standard is good, then we will benefit as part of British society. Unfortunately, when you look at the achievements, and I, I also make comparison. With the Islamic schools, we have 115 Muslim schools in Britain. And if you look at the achievement level of those 115 Muslim schools, Alhamdulillah, there are schools like Islamia that are are achieving 100% pass rate in five GCSE subjects, grade A to C. There are others like the uh, Islamic uh, Girls School in Manchester and here in Redford and other places that achieve over 90% pass rate where well, the national average pass rate is 48%, but the Muslims who go to state-run schools, their achievement, sadly, in many places is less than 25%. Particularly, the Muslim community that comes from Pakistan and also from Bangladesh, the young people from the Bangladeshi and Pakistani um, uh, Kashmiri communities, even if I say that. And... When there is lack of education, where there's underachievement, of course that also has knock-on effect on jobs and training. Of course that also has knock-on effect on what they need to do or what they can do afterwards when they leave college uh, schools and uh, they go into mainstream society. Today, there is an unacceptable number of Muslims, British Muslims in prisons because of drugs and drug-related offenses. And as Muslims, we need to deal with that. Seven and a half thousand British Muslims, three times more than our population percentage terms, prison population, is Muslim. Drugs, theft, robbery, armed robberies, prostitution. These are some of the challenges that we have as a society. And you know. Nobody can say. This is because of Islamophobia. Uh, you know. I, I, I. Of course. I've been. Uh, uh, part of the. I've lived in this country. For 35 years. I know what is. What racism is. And I know. Islamophobia. Is a contemporary form of racism. But. There is. Absolute. No excuse. For those. seven and a half thousand Young people. Who've been involved. With drugs. And drug related offenses. And. We, the community and the mosque, you know something that I'm very proud when I go around the world and I talk about the 1200 or even uh, 1400 mosques, whatever number that we have. Unfortunately, we have not been giving the direction and support that the young people need. We don't treat our daughters equal to our sons. Our daughters have not whether in society, whether at home, whether as a community, we don't treat, and it's, it's nothing to do with Islam, we know that. Because I always say this, that if only, if we Muslims treated, treated our daughters in the same way as the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa treated his daughters. Only if we gave our rights or rights to our wives as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did. And only if we look at the way he treated his daughter that we could treat even our daughter-in-laws and the way, because, you know, all of us, the last time we were together at a, 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 a meeting in East London, conflict resolution. Conflict resolution. no, the, the um, uh, family, um, yeah, conflict resolution one. Um, there, there was a, a gentleman who said, I said, I said this, and I said that there are too many forced marriages. And there are too many um, decisions that are imposed on our children without consulting them, without talking to them. And because our parents seem to think that they know it better. And somebody stood up and said, we do. And I said, I'm sorry, but that's not the right attitude. When was it that in Islam or even in British law or European law or in any law, did a parent get the right that you could just marry off your children without consulting with them without talking to them without getting their approval when was it that you could decide on any human being's future without their cons- their agreement and there are too many of our and, and i know that they sometimes they don't like this i think that when you have been when you have brought up your children in an islamic environment an environment where you can give them the rights and you also tell them about their responsibilities, then inshallah, our society, the Muslim community and the British society will benefit from that. And just last couple of words that I want to say about British Muslims. And I know that all of us have been concerned with the stop and search and all of us have been concerned with the use of anti-terrorism laws And all of us are concerned with the way sometimes some police police officers have used these laws as well. And I'm, um, along with other Muslim organizations, meeting the Police Complaints Commission uh, first week in September to talk about uh, the, the way the police have been using their powers and how we can make sure that they don't abuse those powers. We know that. But let me tell you this, that as a British Muslim, I feel very proud of the fact that in this country, we have more rights than anywhere else in the world. And I think that as Muslims, we also have responsibilities in this society too. We have democratic ways of making those complaints through our councillors and MPs. We have ways of writing to the local press and reaching to the ministers and government by telling them what, we, when I've been stopped and stopped and searched at the airport, I allowed them to stop and search me. But after, when they had searched me, I told them that I was a member of parliament and I will raise it in the House of Lords. I will raise it with the ministers because I don't show my ID before they actually stop me. I happen to have a beard. And sometimes I travel to the US. And anybody who has a beard and who looks with my color that goes to the United States is looked upon with suspicion. But what I'm saying to you is that there is, there is a legal mean, w- way to take up those complaints. I don't think that you should isolate yourselves by saying, well, in this society, we don't do anything. Nobody cares about us. There's so much racism. There's so much Islamophobia. No, you know, I, I don't think that's a way. We, we cannot do that. I urge you to think, and to think whatever you do, that first think what effects this will have on the Muslim community. Second, how it will be seen as... Um, uh, 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 the, the effect it will have on Islam and Muslims worldwide. Because our individual actions, when we say that our religion is great, of course it is. When we say that our religion has so many beautiful things to offer to humanity, to the entire world, because that's where it's sent to. But when people look at our actions, when they see our young people selling drugs, when they see our young people involved in crime, when they see, when I'm selling a car and I don't tell them the engine and the, and the gearbox is gone and I tell them it's a good car and when, the, when I'm selling the house and it's got all the problems and I don't tell them what those problems are, that's not Islamic. And actions speak louder than words. So this is all part of the building the foundation of a successful society by educating the family of the principles of Islam and the teachings of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Thank you very much for listening to me.
0: Well, we thank Lord Nazir for giving us his valuable time. He has to leave. Um, I'll be coming back in about half you a minute. You stay. Shall you I you stay? stay. Okay. I'll, thank you very much. I'll just, I'll just stand up anyway. Okay, thank you. Marakallahu <laughs> <laughs> okay. alayhi all right um, did, did we want a small comfort break for two minutes or shall we just launch straight into it how do you feel carry on inshallah okay. did you uh, do you want the curtains pulled? is too sunny for you a little bit i think We're not doing too badly. We actually started about 10 minutes late, which is not too bad as things go. Okay, let me start, inshallah. Welcome back. Um, we are going to, inshallah, um, start the second session before our prayers and dinner tonight. We have a series of speakers presenting very short kind of um, um, presentations. And we had actually invited about 17 odd organizations and individuals to represent their groups. and uh, We chose them purely on the basis of uh, their um, contributory role in Britain. Uh, being homegrown British organizations, with the exception of one because that one actually fulfills a historical role in bringing about a host of other organizations, and that was UKIM, UK Islamic Mission. Uh, They were the pioneers in a sense, so we invited them. Um, Out of the 17, I think only about six are going to be uh, uh, presenting something today. The others have sent their apologies. For example, Q News. But Fuad Nahdi sent his apology and uh, an email of support. I'm not going to bother reading through those, uh, saying that he's going abroad and so forth. And there are other people as well who have sent their apologies. But those who have come today, inshallah ta'ala, I hope uh, you'll listen carefully to what they have to say. They represent some of the mainstream activities going on in this country, uh, which makes us uh, proud and hopeful. And the first person I'm going to ask is, uh, of course, going to be from the Muslim Council of Britain, the MCB. Uh, The brother Iqbal Sakrani couldn't make it. I think he had to go abroad. He had to go abroad. But uh, the media secretary has very kindly accepted to take his helm and offer a few words of support. uh, Inayat Banglawala.
2: As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A'udhu billah min rajeem, bismillah rahman li sadri, wa yassir li amri, wa ahlul uqdatan min lisani, yafqahu qawli. Sadaqallahul azeem. This is, uh, as you know, uh, a dua in the Quran of uh, Musa alayhi uh, salam. When uh, Musa alayhi salam was ordered uh, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to go before the pharaoh, uh, Musa as-Salam asked for courage and enable him to uh, deliver his words um, in the proper manner. And I hope... <laughs> I'm not comparing you to pharaoh, but uh, I, <laughs> I hope I can con- convey my uh, words uh, accurately, insha'Allah. Um, f- f- yes, let me begin first of all by uh, uh, apologizing on behalf of Iqbal Sakrani, the Secretary General of the Muslim Council of Britain. Uh, he is abroad. Uh, he's due back next week. He did want to be here, but um, he did request me to uh, come, and, come and represent him and say a few words. Um, I have known uh, Abu Muntasir since I was at university in 1987. And even then, you could tell, uh, uh, where he was heading. I mean, I, know, I remember attending a talk at university. It was uh, in Whitechapel, and uh, myself and Abu Mundasir were, were, were in the audience. Someone else was giving the talk, and it was and the question and answer time. Came a question and answer time. You know, they ask anyone wants to ask a question. Abu Mundasir gets up, and instead of the rest of us who sit down and ask a question, he strode right to the front with his sheet. <laughs> There are uh, 50,000 errors in the Bible. <laughs> and he gave the gave usual, uh, you know, the, the, the speech we, we've come to expect from Abu Ghraib. But uh, very confident, alhamdulillah, someone who uh, uh, gains a, a wonderful rapport with Muslim youth. And I noticed it then, and he's, alhamdulillah, maintained that very hardworking brother, as as the other brothers from uh, Hissam, uh, as I knew them then. They used to be the... Harakat al-Islahi al Shabab al-Muslim at that time, and now Jimas. Uh, a group of uh, really dedicated workers, all working on a voluntary basis, uh, really inspiring many youth in many cities with the result that we see, Alhamdulillah, year on year, they're getting a, a larger and larger annual conference. So Allah bless their efforts. Um, Abu Muntasir said something today that uh, struck me uh, just, just in the, in the speech uh, earlier. I've read the Seerah several times. I'm sure many of you have read the Seerah several times. I knew that uh, the Prophet's son Al-Qasim died very young. Uh, the Prophet's daughters, Ruqayya, died. Um Qusum died. Later on, Ibrahim died very early. It wasn't until uh, Abu Muttr just mentioned it, actually, that when he said that five out of the Prophet's six children died, the starkness, it never, I, I didn't realize until then, the stark reality that the Prophet buried five out of his, six of his children. Um, just for that, it is worth coming to conferences like this because it, really, this is a tough care. this is a reminder to us to remember the important things in life. That very quickly we can forget, and the pace of life outside will uh, urge us to forget death. It is not uh, a topic of uh, conversation. But this is why ga- gatherings like this are supremely beneficial. And I hope everyone here uh, benefits from uh, the next three, four days and the, our iman is purified and we go back with a, a greater urge to participate in the wider society. Um, there is an incident in Syria; all of you will be familiar with, that we know that the Prophet started his mission in Mecca and later on went to Yathrib, Al-Madinah. But before he went to Medina, the Prophet Sallallahu sent some companions there to prepare the way. You know that, right? And one of them was uh, Mus'ab ibn Umayr, And the Prophet Asked a report from Mus'ab, how are things going in, in, in Yathrib? And Mus'ab said, Ya Rasulallah, there is not a single household in Yathrib where we have not conveyed the message of Tawheed. And that is our duty. Here in the UK, we have 1.6 million Muslims. Okay? The census of 2001, for the first time, asked our religious identity, affiliation. And it found that there are 1.6 million Muslims in the UK, legally, okay? And um, (laughs) this is is more than the numbers of Jews, Hindus, Sikhs, and Buddhists, and the Jedi Knights combined, right? The the census also found there are 300,000 Jedi Knights followers in this country. But it is a larger number than all the other minority faiths, a huge number. So the potential that British Muslims have is is colossal as well. So the responsibility we have is colossal. I hope um, a conference like this help us to fulfill that potential, um, are, are we getting these slides up? Technical difficulties come on, oh yes, uh, second second slide, please many, many thanks
3: uh,
2: okay, yeah, now, recent years have been um, very difficult, right recent months and years. Um, The the pressure from uh, the anti-terror raids, uh, the pressure from the stop-and-search activities, um, the the, the coverage in the media. Now, when Edward Said wrote that, he's writing in the early 80s, of course, since 9-11. All restrictions have been lifted when it comes to Islam. I mean, the the ferocity with which um, uh, our faith has been targeted uh, is unparalleled now. Um, If we just take the next slide, please. These are just two examples I've I've put um, from just after 9-11 and and then just last month of writings which we weren't familiar with before 9-11. It it was impossible for people to describe us as fifth columnists before 9-11. I don't remember a single instance of this happening. Similarly, I don't remember us being compared with dogs before 9-11 or or the the, the extract we've given from Cummins over there. But since 9-11, these restrictions on Islam alone have been lifted. Uh, we are not against criticism of our faith. We, we do not believe that Islam you know, is above criticism. But what we are against is incitement against our faith, or inciting hatred of us. Because we know there is a direct link, and the documentary on the BNP last month showed it clearly. There is a link between uh, vile language like this and actual physical attacks against Muslims following later on. There is a, a, a link. So all of us have a responsibility to ensure that when individuals go, step over the line like these have, that we don't remain silent, that we do speak out. And just before I came here, I was, I was just speaking to the British Council where Cummins works. And inshallah, next week we should get news about what his future is. And we hope inshallah it is good news Uh, meaning we hope he will be dismissed from his position because that kind of language is unacceptable and we've demanded that uh, if it is proven that Harry Cummins from the British Council is the author of those articles, that he should be dismissed from his position. So please do do keep an eye out for next next week's news. Um, But also, the current situation gives us opportunities as well. Next slide, please. Um, In November 2001, Prospect Magazine gave out uh, a, a Quran CD with every uh, issue of the magazine. It was a translation of the Quran on CD-ROM by uh, Arthur Arberry, who used to be a professor at uh, Cambridge University, and his translation was put on uh, on, on computer and, and distributed on, on that CD-ROM to everyone who bought who bought the who bought the magazine. And similarly, you will have noticed. There have been other opportunities, the BBC slum season we've seen, you've seen uh, The Guardian do a series, you've seen The Daily Telegraph do a series, I think, last month, The Times did a series. There have been several opportunities uh, for us to explain our faith better. Um, It is really with that in mind that we are organising a seminar next month. Next slide, please. Um, There is a seminar that we are organising at the Muslim Council of Britain next month where we've invited the most senior journalists from the newspapers, Uh, the most senior broadcasters, uh, even from uh, the internet, from BBC online, to come and explain to members of the Muslim community how the media works and how we can make the most of opportunities in the media, how we can make sure that if something derogatory is said, unfair is said, that we we know how to seek uh, a correction. We know how to uh, get some of our activities publicized in the media. We know weekend after weekend how many activities, positive activities are occurring. Yet the, much of that positive activity never makes the news. So it is an effort to uh, try and increase the skill base amongst Muslims so they are able to uh, utilize the media for for the benefit of uh, of a positive uh, coverage of, of the Islamic faith, insha'Allah. I hope uh, uh, as many of you as possible are able to make it to this uh, seminar. Um, And now, just just to end, because I I know we have a very short amount of time, but I echo uh, Abu Muntasir's call to be patient and and to persevere, that uh, all all of you, I'm sure, are confident that this faith of Islam is not uh, something whose light can be extinguished. No one has the power to extinguish this, this faith. Uh, all of us have confidence in, in the, the, the fact that this faith will continue to spread and grow, Inshallah, whose light will continue to shine even brighter. But we have that responsibility to convey that message. All of us need to work together. I, I really uh, um, uh, I pay tribute to GMS, the fact that they have today invited so many representatives from different organizations to join together and, and, and uh, unify this message together and unify the call. It is an act of real large heartedness, big heartedness, and uh, I, 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 I salute that. And just one final point, which is, um, he mentioned how easy it is to, to destroy, how easy it is to um, engage in destruction, but how, how much more patient it requires to engage in building, doing something positive. It is easy actually to pick up a Kalashnikov and, and, and cause mayhem, that's not difficult the more difficult task is to persevere and to get this message of Islam into every household. The true message, not a distorted media message. That is a far harder task. And that, that is one that requires courage. That is one that requires per- perseverance. I hope through the next few days, all of us are uh, help to uh, steel ourselves to carry this task for the rest of our lives in this country, inshallah. Because we are British. We have our faith with Islam and we want to carry it to all Britons, insha'Allah. Uh, many thanks. Assalamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh. you can I catch your
0: train
2: now. 9:30. Yeah, I'm staying for dinner.
0: Oh, yes. <laughs> I can get a train. First. <laughs> okay. Thanks very sure, much. Um, the next person I'm going to invite is uh, going to be Brother Asim Siddiqui. He's the chairman of the City Circle. I have the honour of presenting a lecture there once a month for the last. Uh, three or four years, and he'll be speaking on behalf
4: of the Muslim Parliament, Yasuddin Siddiqui. Thank you very much. As Abu Mujahid just said, um, Dr. Siddiqui is currently overseas, so I've been asked to read out a message. Um, he did want to be here, I think he was here last year, so I'm going to um, read and I quote, I am pleased to be able to send a message of support to this GEMAS conference. GEMAS is a vibrant and youthful organization led by Brother Abu Muntasir. I have a personal admiration for the innovation and open-minded style of leadership Abu Muntasir has shown. The challenges facing an an organization with roots such as GEMAS are numerous. There is a battle of ideas currently raging within Islam and the wider world that requires new thinking and courageous people to break from the past, from the mistakes of the past. Islam must not become a prisoner of its own history. Instead, it must re-emerge as a religion of peace and justice for all peoples of the world. I am confident that Jamaas will rise to this challenge. The theme of this year's conference is a crucial one. The health of the family ultimately determines the health of the society in which one, one lives. A child needs a loving, caring, and engaging atmosphere to grow into a normal adult. It is a parental responsibility to ensure that a child grows into a mature and confident individual. Children learn a great deal from the examples their parents set for them, such as patience, honesty, truthfulness, and fairness. Often out of enthusiasm, parents indoctrinate their children. This destroys their creativity. Instead, they should teach their children the criteria to distinguish right from wrong, and then allow their child to apply that criteria to come to the right conclusion. The home should be a place of love, happiness, and contentment. It should be the most attractive place in one's life to avoid being distracted by something that may be undesirable. Children should be involved in decision-making, in family affairs, not only to train them as to how decisions are made, but also to give them the feeling they are being treated as mature individuals. The more trust and confidence parents show in their children's abilities, the more responsible their children will behave. In the formative stage of a child's development, serious thought should also be given to the possibility of living in the proximity of their grandparents, who would be happy to help out with childcare chores with a smile. To know how important the role of a family environment plays in molding the life of a young person, it is simply necessary to say the life of criminals and dropouts. Invariably one finds that human failings are rooted in childhood, something they may have missed out on, something they weren't able to do. So to conclude, only a mature and stable family is best capable of producing productive members of a cohesive society. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, exalted as he, help us to all educate ourselves and our families to build a successful society in this country, mean, Thank you, Assalamualaikum alaykum wa Do you want to say a few things about the Muslim parliament? Itself I think that's been there. that's been there. I think, I'll just say, mean, if you would like to say something, for I mean, the Muslim parliament is a campaigning um, organization, I think most of you would have heard of it. I think it's very important that we build bridges with local communities over here, I mean, um, It is not sufficient. I think as a community we are far too introvert still. We have to build bridges. This is where we live. This is where we grow up. This is where we spend the vast majority of our time. And we must produce, as we we, the discussion in the conference here today, you know, families and environments where we can actively contribute to this society. Islam has so much to offer. And also we need to be honest enough to admit the number of mistakes that currently exist within the Muslim community and the amount of damage to Islam that we ourselves are doing as well. And none of this is Islamophobia. We need to take ownership of our own problems, um, and that is how we will grow and, and develop. So, the Muslim Parliament is, a, as I mentioned, a campaigning, a lobbying organisation um, designed to, 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 to meet that gap in the market of building bridges with, with non Muslims. Okay, thank you very much.
0: I didn't uh, quite ask um, MCB, Inayat, where's he gone? Yeah, he's just left the room, but uh, I didn't ask him to <laughs> say a few words about uh, MCB itself, but I think if you visit the website, mcb.org.co.uk, inshallah, you'll find uh, ample uh, details there. I'm going to ask the Federation of Student Islamic Societies uh, representative, Brother Marwan, I don't see him anyway. He's going to miss the boat, isn't he? Oh, Brother Marwan, there you are. Uh, my uh, dealings with the forces go back... Twenty twenty-five 25 years now. Um, it's very instructive for me to meet the former president of forces. The forces conference last uh, June in uh, Nottingham, from 23 years back. Many years later, now we have the privilege of Brother uh, Marwan, uh, who is the uh, head of the uh, what's that? ISOC working group for
5: forces. Bismillah, um, I just want to start by, uh, as uh, all the previous speakers mentioned before me, by thanking Jimas. Um, not just only the, the aim of, of this conference, but the way that uh, Sheikh Abu Mutasir and the brothers and sisters from Jimas are going about doing this conference. And uh, there is a feeling, I mean, there is a feeling I know from the, the brothers and sisters, I know from Fosis and elsewhere, that alhamdulillah it's a, it's a pioneering effort. May Allah give the brothers and sisters, and everyone here that attends success insha'Allah, um, FOSIS, uh, as Sheikh Mundus had mentioned, uh, stands for the Federation of Student Islamic Societies. And I think it's, you know, it fits in well with the, the aim of this conference in that uh, we deal with Islamic societies at universities and any educational institution. So you know, it fits in with the, the theme of being an educational institution and what FOSIS is aiming to coordinate and do. Um, I'm not the president of, of FOSIS, uh, Brother Waqas Khan who was newly elected this year. He will be here tomorrow inshallah but he couldn't make it today so he asked me to, to speak on his behalf. Um, but I just wanted to mention briefly what uh, the, uh, FOSIS does and, and what our aims and objectives are. Um, to give you some background about myself, and I think this tells the story of FOSIS, um, I'm the, the former president of the Islamic Society at Nottingham University. And on the executive committee we have the former president of uh, SOAS, uh, uh, Islamic Society, Liverpool, We have uh, Brother Waqas himself was Manchester uh, president. And what the aim of uh, FOSIS is, is to take the university work, and there's a number of students I can see that are here today, insha'Allah, and probably come from Islamic societies, but to take this work to another level. Because if you're stuck within your own Islamic society, with your own cocoon, in in your own uh, secluded environment, there's only so much you can do. And we've seen that there's huge issues that are facing the student community day in, day out. So if you, if you like, just to give an illustration of what FOSIS is, if you have all these Islamic societies across the UK, the line that dro- joins up these Islamic societies is FOSIS. I mean, that's in a nutshell what, what FOSIS does. And next year, someone sitting here could be on, on, in FOSIS. In fact, you probably will be approached if you're at university or at a at a college or whatever, by forces, to coordinate this work. So what, what then do we, we do once we, as well as connecting Islamic societies, there's specific things that are done. Just to give some examples, um, the da'wah work, for example, on campuses. Uh, not only pro- to provide high quality speakers to come and speak at the universities, but also to train Islamic societies how to do this da'wah effectively. And the way this is done is not, for me, somehow more, I'm more knowledgeable in da'wah. No, that's not true. Get the Islamic societies together and you can get some amazing work generated. So that's the Dawah. Sharing experiences, being the forum for sh- experiences to be shared. To accurately to and effectively represent students and Islamic societies on the bodies that count, like the National Union of Students. To make sure that they're represented effectively on the Students Union. We have uh, meetings with people, with organizations and, and government bodies like the De- Department for Education and Employment. It's important that this is done effectively. Uh, the academic side of things. So making sure that students are able to attend universities with issues like student loans, for example. Uh, other issues in terms of uh, working with organizations like Muslim Doctors and Dentists Association, Association of Muslim Social Scientists. Um, we provide services such as the freshest packs that you may be aware of, hostels to provide an Islamic environment for students to live in, and. We would therefore encourage, if there is people here that are from uh, either you, either you ha- are a student or you have students as your children, for example, or you are an organisation that you feel that you could help, because we're building bridges here. We're building bridges to to uh, effectively manage the work that's being done, and uh, just encourage you to, uh, you know, visit the website or to learn more about this organisation and to make, inshallah, this effort that uh, is being done by JIMAS. Uh, and other organizations to, to really bring the work together and, inshallah, Allah will give us success. Uh, JazakAllah khair once again. Inshallah. Assalamu alaikum.
0: I forgot. I was reminded to mention the other organizations I had invited, uh, just for the sake, for, for the record. Um, they, they have sent their apologies and they couldn't quite make it today. But for your information, we had actually asked Fair to come as well, Sister Samar Mashadi, and she couldn't quite make it. Q News I've mentioned before. Muslim Women's Helpline. They're doing some very wonderful work, um, taking lots of thousands of calls every year from um, mainly women who are in distress. And the YM, Young Muslims, and the YMO as well. We invited them. IFE, Islamic Forum Europe, based in uh, Whitechapel. Islamic Foundation, Dr. Manazir Hassan, we had invited as well, but uh, from Markfield Dawa Centre, and of course he couldn't come either. The UK IM I've mentioned, and Utruj is uh, run by Sheikh Haytham Tamim. And he's meant to be arriving tomorrow morning, so slightly after tonight. Um, The next speaker I'm going to ask to present is a female speaker, Sister Sarah Joseph. And she's going to be presenting her talk from Gilbert Murray, where the sitters are accommodated. And she'll be showing a little presentation from the CNN broadcast about the magazine that she is the editor of, uh, M-L, E-M-E-L. A very successful um, quality magazine, which gives us much hope and inspiration or the way the British Muslims are heading, Insha'Allah, Taala. So, Sister Sarah, if you can hear me, it's your uh, your go.
6: Okay, Bismillah, ar-Rahim. I begin in the name of Allah, the Most Merciful, the Most Kind. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. All praise is due to Allah, the Lord of all the worlds. I greet you with a greeting of peace and mercy from your Lord. Assalamu alaikum. Come on. I have greeted you with a greeting of peace and mercy from your Lord and deserve a greeting as good as it or better. Assalamu alaikum. <laughs> okay, Jazakallah. Khair. I thank you sincerely for the invitation to speak today. Um, I feel it is the invitation of a courageous organization that is open and confident of itself, confident of who it is, and thus able to be open to others unafraid to take on the challenges of tomorrow. I can remember a time, uh, 16 years ago, when I'd just become a Muslim living in South London, that people from different Muslim groups would cross the road rather than talk to one another, alzabillah. I can remember the fights that went on between different groups when I was at university. And I hear that in some universities, indeed, it still goes on today. But here at Jimas, you have transcended such pettiness, such ridiculous behavior, such un-Islamic behavior. In these difficult times, you have opened up your conference, your hearts, and stretched out your hands of brotherhood and sisterhood to organizations which may have slightly different emphasis here and there, but who, like you, are struggling for the good and for the deen. May Allah reward you all for that openness of heart. May it result, inshallah, in cooperation for the good, a strengthening of the deen, and an increase in positive action. For me, I believe we need as much openness as possible, opening ourselves up to non-Muslim organizations even who are struggling for the righteous actions. But as for us as Muslims, unity is so necessary right now in the difficult times that we face. We must unify for the common good and contribute to our society in all the best ways possible, bringing justice and goodwill wherever we go. We need, as Abu Muntazir said in his introductory talk to us, to give to our society in which we live and from which we benefit. And we need to give to our world for surely we live in a tiny global village. This world is ultimately our responsibility. The issues of environmental chaos, I'm sure you've all been enjoying the rain that we've been experiencing recently or not, but that is an example of the environmental catastrophe caused by our overconsumption in this world, itself a major issue. And the issues of unequal wealth distribution which have led to great injustice but also great bitterness. Issues of increased cynicism, especially of our youth, that nothing that we do will affect change, and an increase in a lack of mutual trust. And these aren't even all Muslim issues. Indeed, these are issues of human survival. But Muslims, as Muslims, we should be at the forefront of these causes because the Quran tells us that we are the vice of this earth, that we are to be a middle nation, balanced, and ultimately we are witnesses unto mankind, and the Prophet wasalam, is a witness unto us. So may we all be as open and as courageous as Abu Muntazir has been, as Jumas has been. May we all help each other and strive for the common good and a better world. Now, there's a lot of us who are going to speak, so I'm going to try and keep it short. But Abu Montesir asked us all to say a few words about the organizations we're from. Well, as I was introduced, I'm editor of Amel magazine. Some of you may have heard of it, some of you may not. But instead of me talking about Amel, I thought I'd show you a small film that CNN made about us, the American Satellite News Channel. Um, If you can ignore the groovy music, don't blame me. It's just uh, what they they decided to um, introduce the uh, Amel to. But I hope you can find it Positive, maybe even slightly inspiring. I know I find it quite inspiring that a Muslim project can be so well received. Um, alhamdulillah, really, all praises due to Allah. Amel is different, maybe, to what many of you are used to, but I really do believe in it. I believe it is providing a service, inshallah, to humanize Muslims. It is a proactive step. Against the tremendous negative media co- coverage that we receive. So instead of just moaning about media coverage, negative media coverage, instead of just reacting to that, I think it's really essential that Muslims are involved in proactive Muslim media, and Amel is part of that. And inshallah, it shows the positive contributions that are being made. I mean, we, we, we say to ourselves, let's make positive contributions, but Also, Alhamdulillah, it's good to recognize sometimes that yes, we are being tremendously contributive to our society as doctors and lawyers, as artists, as in every field, as mothers, in all sorts of fields, we are contributing to this society and helping the society. And Amel is saying, hey, look, this is what Muslims are doing positively, contributing, adding to this society. We are Um, stakeholders within this society and being proactively engaging within this so anyway i've kept it short inshallah jazakallah for your attention and your kind invitation anything i've said of any uses from allah and the mistakes they are mine and then i'm going to leave it to cnn to talk about amel and as i said just ignore the groovy music and hopefully get an idea about about the magazine assalamualaikum
3: When I was overseas
6: last week, someone walked up to me in a hotel and said they were really a fan of the program and they especially liked our Up the Rise segment. I didn't bother to tell him it's actually on the rise. It didn't seem that important. It was good enough to hear that he liked the series. If idioms speak to cultural differences, they also can be points of contention, which brings us to a new magazine called ML, which focuses on lifestyle from a Muslim perspective. It debuted last fall in the U.K., and there are hopes to expand it to other countries, including the United States. So the magazine and its editors
4: are on the rise.
6: Amal is a Muslim lifestyle magazine. It's derived from the letter M and the letter L, standing for Muslim Life. The word that we created, Amel, actually has deep roots in the Arabic and Turkish languages, meaning hope, aspiration. You have the current affairs in Amel, the important issues of the day, but you also have the education, the finance, the environment, the health issues, the parenting issues, and then you have this other, completely different element to the magazine, in which you have the home interiors, the clothing, the food, the gardening, which is so different for a Muslim magazine to have these things. It was a type of magazine I wanted to read, but didn't exist. We felt that there was nothing there which brought together the ideas of Muslim life in a whole way, a holistic way. There was nothing that showed Islam as a living reality.
4: The really important thing is to bring out the color really make the food look good enough
6: to eat islam is not just one single culture it's not a monolithic culture it's from all around the world so you've got food from china you've got food from afghanistan food from india which is all the time drawing on that heritage showing how you can cook different foods from the different places in the world We look at how modern day artists are using their faith, drawing on that, drawing on their heritage to create something beautiful and express themselves through painting, through ceramics, through mosaic.
0: Basically, we do contemporary Islamic art. And the ethos behind uh, Islamic art is about the oneness of God and about the unity of the, the Muslim community. It's become a very uh, up and coming art movement of its own. And I think uh, Emma want to represent that or reflect uh, the development of that.
6: When we created the first, it was trying to create a magazine against all odds and against time and against people thinking what is this you know what are you trying to do we just need to get some good images um, from the studio and maybe film for them filming it's sold through a number of independent news agents it's in borders the bookshops a lot of American internet sites took it and sold it through their networks we are slowly getting it throughout the world but primarily we focused on getting it strong in Britain and then branch out we print about twenty thousand, thirty thousand. Hopefully, that number will increase. It's a really nice, good yeah, piece because it's yeah. a really fantastic story. Great. So it's a small operation that's creating something bigger than the team in a way. Mm. It's about showing that Islam can be a positive contribution to the world today. There we go. Okay. JazakAllah okay.
0: Right, our um, penultimate speaker is going to be Brother Jahangir from Islamic Relief. Um, I think they're one of the best, best-known charity organisations in Britain, where they are performing acts of um, charity across the world. Inshallah.
7: A'udhu <laughs> Billahi Minash Shaitanirajim, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, Alhamdulillah wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi man wala amma bad As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Jazakumullahu khairan for this uh, invitation uh, It was extended to Dr. Hani al-Banna, the founder, co-president, sorry, the president, co-founder of Islamic Relief And he is currently in Darfur you're all aware of the situation what's taking place right now in Sudan and as the last 20 years of the humble efforts of those sincere people who have set off on this journey just like the humble efforts that I was reading on the uh, the panels here 20 years ago when Jim started under the courageous leadership of Sheikh Abu Muntasir I remember attending a conference about 13 years ago and now I'm here, I've been away from uh, United Kingdom for about seven, eight years, and uh, we've established an office, Islamic Relief established offices in many parts of the world, and I was set, sent to open an office, help establish an office in the land of the brave and the free, uh, Los Angeles, California, USA, and uh, alhamdulillah, I can, I'm glad and blessed to be here ten years later to see at the marvelous growth and the variety of people that stand before us and sit before us. And it's all been to, due to the hard work and the blessings of the brothers and sisters in Jimas, as I remember them and their hard work 13 years ago, and how they, mashallah, are endeavoring to present Islam, open their arms, open their hearts, and remind us all that it's not words that make a difference, but action. And it's upon that that Dr. Hani al who I got a good earful from, for arranging a fundraising program last Saturday in Manchester, which I forced him to attend, which made him miss this event. So I apologize on behalf of uh, uh, Dr. Hani for not being here, but it is through the efforts of people like yourselves that have made Islamic relief what it is. It is renowned. It sits amongst other international players. After September the 11th, just before uh, September the 11th, I was visiting Afghanistan, and had returned to work in the field, and work and be based in Kabul for a number of months, for approximately a year in Afghanistan. And many of the organizations had either left Took off, closed their operations, or were shut down. And this phenomena was quite rampant throughout the Western world, especially in USA. Out of the eight main organizations, three of the top organizations were closed down overnight. And in United States and United Kingdom, the work of Islamic Relief, Dr. Hani had told us at that time, now was the time not to bury our heads in the sands. Not a time to look down, but to stand. Because we are standing for the oppressed. We are standing for the needy. We are standing for the voiceless. And we are crying out of the tears that are, that are falling from the cheeks are those that represent the tears of those thousands of miles away. I know the brothers of Jamas and sisters Jamas have worked tirelessly to put this conference on. It is platforms like this and communities like this that have allowed Islamic Relief to sit and continue working in in those chambers. Surely, we get looks. When I entered arena of all predominantly Western male-oriented NGOs, and you're the only Islamic organization, and they know that you are a Muslim organization, but we feel proud Because we are a product, an institution, a reflection of the goodness of the Muslim community in the West, in the United Kingdom, and in the United States. So, Alhamdulillah, from humble efforts, from a room, imbued with barakah from the 20 pence that started the organization. But the barakah came from the hardship. When I go to Chechnya or Afghanistan or any of these places... I tell them, it is not the multi layers that are supporting the organization. It is not institutions and governments and United Nations and World Food Program and CAFAD and Christian Aid and all the others. Although, alhamdulillah, the support has increased and the bridges have been built where we work together for humanity. But it is through the hardship and the hard-earned money of the people and the Muslims in the United Kingdom, in the mosques, in the masajids, in the communities, in the conference, that's allowed the benevolent work of this organization to go forward. So I feel proud to sit and stand here before you and be blessed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to be that bridge between the fortunate and the less fortunate. So next time, when we see the child in Sudan and they show an image of suffering and they show a father burying his child, we know by the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we have something that can take from the generous and the benevolent to the needy. We are nothing more than this glass, which is empty, but it gets filled with the blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided through the likes of you and I, that we fill it and take it to the deserving and quench the hunger, the thirst... And fulfill the shelter, inshallah, and the needs of these people. And this is all a big blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be grown, to be homegrown from United Kingdom, from England, inshallah, and to be recognized and to be having co-partnerships with the like of GMAS and all the other organizations that have supported Islamic Relief. I say, Jazakum Allah Khairan, Barakullah Fikum. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless the gathering, bless our brothers, Bless the leadership, inshaAllah, to continue on this noble path, bringing everyone together. It is no good, brothers and sisters, talking about unity. It's high time, inshaAllah, that we start living it. And sitting here next to my brother, Abu Muntasar, is, mashaAllah, evident of the courageous steps that have been taken place, inshaAllah, of allowing us to work together and helping humanity as a whole, inshaAllah. Jazakumullah khairan.
0: Okay, that, brings us almost, uh that brings us almost to the end, alhamdulillah. I just have a, a very short presentation now to you from uh, Richard Keenan uh, from the Leicestershire Constabulary. He's going to say a few words of um, relevance to our situation. I think Robin Cook's latest um, statements are quite ample to describe what we are going through, 30,000 or more stop and search searches, only about 100-odd people being charged and so on. So Richard Keenan is going to now spend a few minutes um, before we terminate,
3: inshallah. Assalamu Sijambo, Shwani, Kemcho, Galapwanax. I hope I've said hello to most people in the room. Um, I'm very grateful to Abu Muntasir for the chance to speak to you. I originally came to listen, not to speak. So these thoughts are my own. I accept all fault from them. Um, but they are from the heart. Um, It would be very foolish of me to sit here and say, I know how the Muslim community feels at the moment. However, I I would suggest to you I have some sympathy. Um, I was brought up as an Irish Catholic. Uh, My grandfather and father were tradesmen. They would not get employment if it was widely known that they were Catholics. We are only talking 30, 40 years ago in this very country. In the 1970s and 80s, unfortunately due to the violence that took place in Northern Ireland and on mainland Britain, the Catholic population in Britain were viewed with some suspicion. They were seen as a fifth column. Uh, our clergy were viewed with suspicion and they were stopped at airports and seaports and they were searched. So from my own personal experience, I have some sympathy and perhaps a little understanding for the way the Muslim community in Britain feels at the moment. So I would talk to you of two things. One is reassurance. It grieves me greatly to hear that colleagues nationally are using new legislation in a way that seems crude, unthinking and ultimately ineffective to be told examples of uh, a sister who is trying to travel internally in the United Kingdom is traditionally dressed and is not allowed to travel because she doesn't have a passport what nonsense that is what absolute nonsense I can only speak for my own force Um, I can tell you categorically nobody has been stopped and searched in Leicestershire using the new powers available to the police. These are not laws that we would use except in the gravest of situations because we are aware of the, the potential misuse of this legislation. Leicestershire police again seek to value diversity. My own officers are responsible for looking after the Highfields area of Leicester where I think most of the Muslim population of Leicester live. Um, My officers in the course of the next year will visit every faith establishment in the area. I'm hoping to get them language lessons so that we can all attempt some ability to communicate with everybody, to put people at ease. Um, Mr Kilroy Silk, bless him, criticized me in the national press for learning some of the community languages. Um, He told me I shouldn't waste my time, that everybody should actually learn English and I should concentrate on arresting burglars. Well, Mr. Kilroy-Silk, most people in the high field speak better English than you do and my burglary rate has been reduced by 40%. So I think I can still speak to my community and do my job. You may think, okay, that's Leicestershire, that's one out of 44 forces Uh, You guys are are reacting with us reasonably, you are showing some sympathy. What about the other 43 forces? We are one big family in a way, the police service. We don't act entirely independently Um, and today I had the great pleasure of two members of the Home Office Community Cohesion uh, Board, I I don't fully understand government, I let them get on with things and I do my job, Um, but they were very impressed with the way that Leicestershire Police is trying to relate to all the communities it serves. They will take that back to central government. They will take best practice here. So slowly, inshallah, we shall affect the way other forces work. So that is the reassurance I would offer you, that here in Leicestershire we tackle Islamophobia wherever we see it. And the the approach of the, the constabulary itself is one of openness and understanding and respect. The one thing I was going to ask you for is is your assistance. Um, It it would be very remiss of me as a non-Muslim to talk about the gift that you have, the gift of faith, but it it is one that in the last year that I've spent amongst your community has struck me greatly. And and I think that is a gift that, as Abu Muntasir and other speakers have reminded us, the challenge is, is to put that into action. Um, I have tried to study Islam in the last year. Um, forgive me if my theology is slightly astray, but my understanding is that there are four elements of the life of prayer. One is the realization. Forgive my pronunciation. Isan? Yeah. From that comes faith, iman. From that comes action, amal. And ultimately jihad, the struggle to implement the teachings of Allah. The help I'm asking for is is very selfish and this is not a sales pitch for any government targets, any quotas but parents I would ask that you don't dissuade your children if they consider the police service as a way of expressing their faith and as a way of contributing to the society And, and to the young men before me and to some of the sisters listening I would say don't discount the police service as a way of expressing your faith and contributing to the society. It was with great joy I was able to welcome the first Muslim officer to the Highfields police station. He's not the first Muslim officer in Leicestershire nor indeed in the country, Uh, there are many officers serving but he was the first for my station the impact has been great, the reassurance has been great and, and let me g- just give you one example of, of how I seek to make it possible for him to be Muslim and also to be a police officer. If he is on duty on a Friday and emergencies allow, he will attend Friday prayer in full uniform and I'm very glad for him to do so and, and the impact as I say for his own community, he goes to his own mosque um, is great, so I hope some of my words will reassure you that the, the police service in Britain is not some oppressive organization. We, are, we should be there to help people and to protect people and also to again ask for your assistance and, and help me in, in my own struggle to combat evil where I find it and uh, I would close by thanking Abu Muntasir for the chance to speak to you. I, I have been very uplifted by his words and the words of other speakers. Um, I hope as a non-Muslim you won't mind that. Uh, enjoy the rest of the conference and thank you once again for the chance to speak to you. Thank
0: you. Right, alhamdulillah, we come to the end of our Friday session, inshallah. Um Can I briefly remind brothers and sisters that if there are others staying in your room, it's a bit um, boring stuff now. If there are others staying in your room, you need to be careful not to lock the doors because they can't come in and, or get in. And it creates a lot of problem trying to find the, the warden to, with the master key and so forth. The next program is, I think, prayers, inshallah, at Stamford Hall. And after prayers will be dinner and we retire early. I recommend to those who are new to the conference that you do try to retire early, not spend into the wee hours of the morning talking. Because the next two days are going to be very intensive and sessions tend to carry on till about one AM, twelve to one AM with QA and so forth. So by Friday or Monday morning you're going to be shattered, I can assure you that. So please tonight get a good night's sleep and perhaps the next two days we can enjoy ourselves much more, inshallah. Thank you. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika shaduallah.